Welcome to episode 16 of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. So your girl Zena decided to leave me and go live her life in Dearborn last weekend. Honestly, it was so nice getting away. Not from you, but just getting away. Liar. It's it's so nice to be like surrounded by family. You know what I mean? And just kind of like take that time to disconnect from like technology and social media and really invest in family time. I had so much fun. And I was jealous of you because I was seeing these snaps. I'm like, man, like the last time I ever went to Dearborn, I was like a little kid. So you really don't get to experience yeah, Dearborn as an adult. Yeah, the coffee shops yes. and restaurants. And the, the food's amazing in Dearborn. So delicious. And the hookah bars. But you yes. don't smoke hookah. I don't smoke, but like we still went. We went to, um, I think it's Sky Lounge. Oh, same. And it's like really nice. They say open until like freaking 5 a.m. Like, I know. It's I mean, that's what all so people nice. I feel like do over there. They yeah. just like get their delicious sweets. And I had my little hookah. lemon mint and it it was oh, delicious yes. and I don't know I just had a lot of fun this week and just being with family but it's nice because like you you know when we were younger we used to hang out with our cousins and stuff like that and now it's like a whole different experience yeah. as adults to all come together for a wedding exactly and you know what it's not even you know my cousins but it was my husband's cousins that yeah. I kind of like adopted to be my cousins I love them so much so it was just nice getting to know them more this weekend and just like you know getting familiar with their personalities and you know even the ones that I don't know that well just getting closer and it was just nice to be around family I know and honestly you needed a break and it was yeah. like a nice like break from it us was. like recording so yeah. it's just chill and everything <laughs> was, yeah. you didn't miss much in Chicago to be honest other than the wedding the wedding the weather being really nice yeah it wasn't really nice in Dearborn it wasn't no it wasn't it was like raining but you know what it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter what i'm saying yeah you're inside and it's it was chill but i have to say dearborn makeup artist incredible see i'm always like magicians like magicians i'm always nervous to get my makeup done because it's like you don't want to look caked on and sometimes it's like you tell them and well, they do tease your hair a lot, which I had to. Oh, I hate that part. Yes. I do. So I took my extensions and I told the lady that was doing my hair, I'm like, do not use all of them because they're super thick and I don't need all of them. Yeah. And I wasn't paying attention. I think I was like on my phone or something talking about disconnecting from technology. Not really. <laughs> but um, I got to my car and I realized that my head was like the size of like the Eiffel Tower. Who and is so, it? Like Texas people? That's how oh, they yes. love their hair all big. And so I sat there in the car. I was so like embarrassed to get down to the hotel with my hair that big. Oh so gosh. I sat in the car and like unclipped all of my, I took them all out. You took it all out? And then I just like sat there and like brushed my hair down with my hands and it ended up looking so much better. But you wasted all that money I for know, nothing? but like... It looked humongous. I don't blame you because that same scenario, I'm not going to mention which salon it was, but it was for my sister's wedding. Yeah. And if you're in the salon seat and you're crying, just know that you, that's it. It's that's done it. with. Yeah. Because I just did not like what they were doing. I'm and just, I'm just like you. I like simple. Yeah. But they keep saying like, okay, but it's not going to show on video. I'm like, lady, nobody's going to watch the video. No one watches. I want to look normal in real life. That's I, it. I watched like half of my wedding video and I'm like, I don't even, this is so awkward. I don't want to see myself yeah. dance. Turn it off. I think we've all been there. Yeah. Honestly. Let us know if you guys have where you're in a salon and it's just like you end up leaving and just taking or do, it all Do you out. say when you're when you dislike something, are you vocal about like I am but very politely because I mean this is somebody's art yeah. and I don't want to be rude and sometimes like but then it's like I hate when they say no, I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, I know what you know what you're doing, but I don't I don't wanna look this yeah. way. Like I wanna look less I'm just always like especially when you're in a salon that like everyone has hair like that you don't want to like offend everyone so i'm just like you, you know i diva. know what i can do i can just take them out and like flatten my hair with my fingers and it'll be fine so like 
I'm always I'm okay with that when you fix it at home, but I'm not okay with spending that much money for nothing. I know that's when that's like when it's like, oh dang it, I should have like known better. But I wanted to like bring my the makeup artist like back with me. I was like, move to Chicago, you're so good. I know there's so many amazing makeup artists. There's a lot here too that I haven't experienced. But I mean again, like I haven't gone to a super close like relative's wedding, so I haven't had to like get my yeah. Makeup I haven't done gotten dressed up in a while, so it was I know, really and nice. And you were like, like like struggling to find a dress. And I, I know. Not... Well, side note, my mom is the real MVP. Yes. So I work really long hours, and by the time I get home, everything's closed. And on weekends, I'm stuck working with Dunya, so I have no time. <laughs> I have no time to go shopping. So um, my mom went to the mall, went to the store, bought me four dresses, shipped them to me, told me to try on all of them see what i like and then i mailed the ones that i didn't want back i'll so say i didn't have to do anything over and over again we don't deserve our mothers honestly i'm it's so i'm so spoiled and i i know it that's just like love right there like, like michelle like, alhamdulillah like she's just so strong and like so like freaking she can walk into a store that i walked in and spent hours looking for something in and she can just walk in and be like oh that's nice and then like it'll be my size perfect for my body just perfect everything you have to trust your mother's like I guess style like I used to for the longest not but then like she would surprise me when it comes to my birthdays my mom always decides to buy me clothes yeah and I'm like no I don't need any more clothes and then when she buys I'm like oh dang like that's a cute yeah. shirt I would have never walked into I would have never went into that store I never would have thought to buy it and ends they up being know. the cutest it's thing crazy and I hate to admit it I hate but to, she but hasn't so seen true. me in a few months like how she knows that this is gonna fit perfectly and like especially because you're like non-existent online you I never know, take selfies or snaps or anything so it's crazy moms know everything they sure do so let's move on to our unfiltered advice segment. Again, yes. me and Zaina think that we can give advice on anything Yeah, and I don't know why we think we're so capable of like giving other people help when we need help ourselves. But, but you know, sometimes <laughs> it's nice to get somebody's outside perspective yeah, no, definitely. on something. Do you want to go ahead and read yeah. it? So here's the question. Dear Zaina and Dunya, I'm approaching my 30s and so unhappy with my career. I work in banking. I went through years of schooling to earn my bachelor's degree, but now I feel stuck and unsatisfied with my career choice. Is it too late for me to change careers at this point in my life? This sounds just like me, as if I submitted it. Because, <laughs> girl, this is me, but I am actually 30, and I'm an accountant. So I think... First and foremost, why we fear like a career change, because I feel like we think that we failed and that we're moving backwards. But somebody once told me that you're actually not moving backwards and you didn't fail. You're actually moving forward and making yourself happier in the long run. And I was like, whoa, that gave me the chills. I never realized that like you are actually moving forward and you are like realizing like, hey, I'm not happy where I am. So it's time to make a change. Right. And I think that we also think everything is a race and we never want to be behind people our own age. And that's how I felt going back to school at, you know, 23. And I know that wasn't old, but for me, like, all of my friends and cousins and everyone I knew was going for their master's and I was going back to finish a second BA. And I kind of felt like, you know, kind of like I was behind. behind. Yeah. But then now I'm like, you know what, I am working in a career that I like. And I feel like if I went that path that I was originally going to go on, which was, you know, become a, a psychologist and therapist, I don't think I would genuinely be happy. No, you might have had like the deg- the master's degree. Yeah, and but- I think I would have been making more money and maybe, you know, having those like materialistic things, but like I wouldn't be satisfied. And sometimes, you know what else that we fear when it comes to career change is that paycheck. Because yeah. 
you do not all the time but sometimes you do have to sacrifice a, a nice like big fat paycheck for your or, happiness yes a lower paycheck but you're more fulfilled yeah and i think that's how i feel sometimes at my job like yes it pays amazing it's a great career i have a great degree that i can do anything when it comes to accounting but am i fulfilled no so are you satisfied what does it matter that yeah. i have you know this paycheck coming into my bank account every two so weeks i or think so? i mean i yeah it's scary to mm-hmm. to jump ship like that but you do choose your happiness over anything else but also i feel like i want a career change but you don't know where you want to go so what's yeah. your advice on that zena i feel like you can just go online you do you do it but it doesn't mean that you're trying to find a new job but you go online and you like just see what's i like going to on. see what's out there yeah that's what i'm trying um, to get i at. like to see what's out there but let's say you're unsure of like what path you want to take my advice would be just contacting different people so let's say you're in banking but you want to become you want to work in like public relations for example contact go on linkedin find someone working in public relations that lives near you or is accessible to you Ask them if you can shadow them one day. And so or just you're grab getting... a coffee and have a talk because sometimes yeah. we think a certain career or a certain job is one way, but it's a completely different. Yeah, so just yeah. I think following or, and talking to someone who is working in that career could give you more insight to see like, is that really for me? And will this be a perfect match for me? Because I think if you're going to change careers let it be something that you're 100 percent sure that this is what i want to do and i feel like the longer you stay where you're unhappy it starts to create a wedge between you and your employer and i'm always 100 percent all for like making sure you always leave your previous employer on a good note i think it's so unprofessional when you leave it on a bad note absolutely again sometimes some things are out of your out of your hands but at the same time like i think it's like better to if you feel like right now at this point hey i'm really unhappy this is when the search needs to begin. Even when, if you're already starting to think about like, I want a career change, you have to start now. You can't stay there and wait and wait and just become miserable. Yeah, the longer you wait, I feel like the more stuck you're going to feel. And it also affects your outside work life, like your personal life and your relationships with your family and your friends sometimes when you're so unhappy at work because you guys, you got to realize we're at work like literally 40 to 50 hours a week. That's a good chunk of our lives right there. That's the majority of your time. Yeah, Yeah, like it is a lot. So definitely that that's why you need to definitely choose your career carefully that's and so hard at the age of 18 exactly it that's that's what i don't understand is that they expect us to like know exactly what we want to do as yeah. soon as we like leave high school and that's why take your time and that's why also but it's it's okay to change careers yeah. because at the age of 18 you didn't know what you wanted to do and i'm a firm believer of we're always growing so i think that it's okay to change careers as life goes on because you are changing, you are transforming. Your interest and your personality is also going to change too. Absolutely. You're not going to be the same person you were senior year of high school. So again, I definitely recommend to switch careers if you are unhappy. And on average, people switch careers 12 times. I read that somewhere. No way. Isn't it crazy? But when you really think about it, at the age of 17, I've held like three different jobs. And then up until now, I've held another three, four more jobs. So it's like... Wow. It's normal. Yeah. I mean, well, not more so careers, but jobs, I guess, in general. Jobs, so it's okay yeah, yeah. to switch and everything like that. So I say go for it. I say go for it as well, honestly. Just do what makes you happy and just don't be scared. And when it comes to schooling, try to find loans. Try to find um, scholarships, grants. It's okay. Like yeah, there's ways. I mean, if you already have a degree, going back, you're not going to have to take those basic classes. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not taking those sciences and maths and, and the basic, you know, whatever. General courses, yeah. yeah. 
So I think it's not going to be as hard as you think it is. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So again, I hope that helped. Let's talk about today's guest girl. Do you want to introduce her? So on today's, talking about family, how important it is to have great relationships with family. On today's episode, we'll be talking to my cousin, Fizia Kahuk. She has a son that is autistic. So she kind of walks us through that intuition, that feeling she had. That mother's gut instinct that is so powerful. She had a feeling, like an inkling, that there was something different with her son. Um, She talked about these red flags that she noticed that the people around her really didn't notice. I mean, she almost had to go against her husband and her own family and let them know, like, no, I feel like there's something, like you said, something different. So it's really hard when everybody's against you and you're almost kind of diagnosing your own son and you never want that. But again, so she talks about getting that diagnosis of, you know, autism um, going through the therapy, going through that, also the kind of the breakdown inside of her that she went through when she found out and kind of, she said something about like, she had to mourn her her, her son. son and then welcome this new child into her life. With the diagnosis. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a lot, but you know, she handled it so well. and She navigated it yeah. so well to and the I'm, point where she's also helping others. Exactly. And yeah. that's beautiful. Honestly. And I think she's so strong and I'm, I'm really proud of her for taking the the path that she took when it come to when it came to like getting him the help and the therapies that he needs to you know there's nothing like a mother's love for her children absolutely she will go through hoops and everything to just make sure that your own children are safe and they're being taken care of and again like with her she wanted to make sure her son had the best life possible and you as an autistic child you need that help you need that therapy you can't navigate life without it exactly she said that like if you don't get the help you need you're going to constantly regress yeah so for the parents that don't acknowledge that their son or their kids have like mental illnesses or uh, some kind of disability it's just pushing them further back and I don't think any parent really wants that so I'm very proud of her and the way that she approached this definitely I mean across all cultures sometimes people just don't want to admit that their son or their child is going through something or like you said they have a disability in the back of the closet and you don't talk about it especially when it's on a physical disability either when you can't tell so it's it's very painful to see that happening but I really hope you guys enjoy this episode let us know what you think and make sure you guys stick around for our unfiltered afterthoughts that's where we kind of digest everything and go ahead and go over everything that we just discussed with our guest. So you want to dive in, Dana? Let's do it. Thank you so much, Fazia, for coming on and sharing this story. Um, it's a very vulnerable and very personal story about your child. So if you want to just take it away and start from the very beginning. Hi, ladies. Thank you guys for having me on here. can definitely start off from where I was feeling a little uh, concerned about some certain things that I seemed like I was the only one seeing these things, but it was um, probably around 10 to 11 months of age where he was fixated and interested in certain things that kind of didn't make sense to me. Some of the things were like the ceiling fan. If I let him watch the ceiling fan spin for hours, he would do so. Even um, watching TV upside down was like his favorite thing to do. Um, Also, he anything that would spin, and if it didn't spin, he would make it spin. So he would take me outside to the front yard and we'd pick sticks and twigs and he would just sit there on the ground and spin it for as long as I would let him. And that kind of made him so happy. That was what he wanted to do for fun time, for anything. And it just didn't make sense to me because that's what he chose 
for toys or for um, his little fun activities that he wanted to do. So these were the things that kind of were eye openers to me and they gave me a really weird feeling in my gut. Like, why is he not wanting to play with like monster monster truck or Hot Wheels or this is what his brother used to do. And, and then that's where I started to feel guilty. Like maybe I'm comparing, but that's what kind of gave me that nasty feeling in my gut. And then when I approached my husband with my concerns, I was shut down, like, you're just comparing him to his brother. You're not, like, giving him his ability to be his own self. Or, And my sisters were living with me then. She would also say that I'm just overreacting. I'm not giving him the, op- the opportunity to just be different. Let him do whatever he wants. Look at how physically he's so fit. He's Michelle, he was doing everything ahead of the age of when he's supposed to reach the actual milestone. So whether it was lifting his head up or crawling or even walking, he was really, really, really quick to catch on and do those things. And that's why I kind of understand why everybody thought that I was overthinking or maybe not giving him um, a chance to be himself because physically you can't really tell. There weren't any signs physically that would make you feel like there's something going on. So yeah, that's basically how it started. Did you feel like it was more so like your motherly instincts? Because it's like if I had a child and they were just transfixed by a ceiling fan, I wouldn't think anything of it or just him wanting to play with twigs or anything. Like what made you, I know other than comparing him to your other son, what really gave you that feeling like something was not right? I think it was how much he wanted to do those activities. It's I try to bring and um, introduce other toys, a variety of different activities, and it would also always be that one little thing that spun or um, even, I, I don't think I mentioned, but he would walk on his tiptoes also. So kind of all these little things were like, they don't, they don't add up. For me, they didn't add up. I and mean, we even took him to Disneyland. And um, and he, he used to like watching Mickey Mouse sometimes, and he could care less. He was just looking on the ground, looking for little sticks and twigs to spin. So I, I don't know what exactly it was. Maybe it's a motherly instinct, but I definitely had a really bad feeling in my gut. And I just felt like I was going crazy because I was the only one that saw it and nobody nobody else did. So yeah, it was kind of, that was the hardest, I think, time. Um, initially not knowing whether I was right or wrong or why am I feeling this way and I would always say you know don't don't make me feel bad that I'm thinking this it's it's not easy for me to think this and even voice what I was concerned about but I'm just I need somebody to be on the same page with me to help me figure it out so yeah that was uh, I think uh, the rough time in the beginning the roughest time So, I mean, you definitely felt alone at that time because no one was seeing what you were seeing. No one was agreeing with what you were thinking. I mean, did you ever think, okay, maybe I'm just making this all up in my head and, you know, I'm just maybe nitpicking at things and looking too closely at, you know, my son's actions? Definitely. Yeah. I was actually hoping that I was wrong. I did feel like I was maybe overthinking. Maybe I am, you know, maybe I am overdoing it. Maybe I'm being too much of a helicopter mother. Maybe I should just back up. And I was hoping that I was wrong. Like even when I um, spoke with my husband about my concerns and I, you know, he, he kind of convinced me then that I needed to give him some time. I, I did promise to give him time. And it was, I think three, two to three months. And, um, and I said, I'll wait those two to three months. And if nothing changed, you have to be on board with me going to the doctor and getting him checked out. And in that time, I was hoping, I was like, I hope he gets just a little bit better just because I want them to be right. It kind of played games with my mind. Like, am I really going crazy? Like, am I that bad of a mother? Like, 
mentioning these possibilities and, and uh, disabilities that my, my son could actually have. And there's, you know, I was hoping, I was hoping that I was wrong. And, and that's actually what happened when, when the two to three months, I think it was actually like two and a half months into it. And I, my concerns were even higher. And like, I was, he was getting more fixated on the specific things, the same things, maybe even um, a little bit worse with the spinning and, and lack of eye contact and um, lack of response to his name. Those, that was when it got, it got worse. We did mention to his pediatrician and he actually told me that I, he also told me that I needed to give him some time. And so that's why everybody was on the same page. I was the only one that was kind of on a different page and I, I actually uh, accepted to wait those couple of months. But once those months were over, I knew that that's it. It's getting worse. I don't know if they see, maybe they're all blind. Maybe, I don't know, but let me go take him to a doctor just to, just let me hear the no from a doctor, from a specialist. And that's when we, I made an appointment with a developmental doctor and they just sat with him for a very easy observation for an hour. And I kind of was like, oh, well, you know, they're giving him very easy questions or like they're observing him. They're opening a big book and asking him to point uh, objects and um, even though they like that back then it seemed very silly to me like really that's what you're asking of a little child like not all kids know how to do that like you know I kind of felt I started to feel offended like why are they making it seem like he's worse than he is because don't forget I walked in there ready to hear another no like no he's fine you're overdoing it so when I didn't get that I you know an hour later I got a total opposite response. So it was, he, yeah, you're right. He's at a 50% delay developmentally. I didn't even let her continue. I grabbed him and I left the place and I was rushing to the car because I wanted to get on the phone and I wanted to yell <laughs> and I wanted to yell at everybody that told me that I was wrong. Um, and so I called my husband and he was like, you, you really wasted two, three months of his life that I could have actually started some kind of treatment, some kind of therapy. Back then I didn't know what I was going to do, but it was just, I knew that I was, I could have done something. Um, and so automatically I it just flipped to anger and I wanted to point fingers and I did. And I, I feel bad because I came home and I yelled at my sister and I, I, I told her, I'm like, you know, I'm the mother. You're not supposed to uh, second guess what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling. And, and it was a really, 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 really rough time. But since then, nobody second guessed me. Yes. <laughs> I do everything for myself. Then it was only just a 50% developmental delay that was kind of throwing us off. Like, so what do we do now? Um, the next step was basically the state. The, the state would get involved. The doctor would co contact the state. And from there, it's just been a completely like crazy roller coaster journey up and down, crazy days, some good days. But yeah, so that's basically where it all started with just a 50% developmental delay. So Fazia, when you say the 50% developmental delay, they didn't really give you an official name for it at that moment, did they? Or did No, they... no, absolute no diagnosis. They just said that we do see he has a 50% delay developmentally, and we now will get the state involved. They will come give you some uh, offer up um, some like occupational therapy, speech therapy, whatnot. And then after that, I would take it in my own hands, see what I wanted to do. But I back then didn't know that you know, maybe I can also get a diagnosis. I, all I thought about was he's 50% delayed and us being out of like, oh my God, my son is 50% delayed. Like, what am I going to do? So that's where I started to ignore everybody and take things into my own hands and say, I'm going to educate myself. That's where I started to do my research. That's where um, the state got involved and actually helped me. And yeah, that's where it all started. So did you ever have an inkling of like, 
maybe he's autistic before you heard the diagnosis or was that something that you wouldn't didn't even cross your mind i know it was all the way in the back of my mind and i never let it i never let myself think it and i i feel like the feeling that i told you about before about my gut that nasty gut feeling i think that's what it was me kind of knowing it ha it might be autism so i never let myself say the word i never let myself actually bring the thought to mind and let it sink in. No, every time it would come, I'd push it back and say, well, maybe it's a sensory processing disorder, which I didn't know that's what kids with autism have anyways. I felt like he just can't set, um, process this, the sensory inputs that he was getting from his surroundings. So it's kind of like, not denial, but just kind of throwing things in the back, like, okay, let's just take it one step at a time. I got what I wanted with the with the percentage of the delay. I know he's delayed and let's just start. Um, back then I felt like, oh, we're gonna fix him in six months. You know, We're gonna start speech, occupational, whatnot, whatever this, the state will offer. And six months down the road would be on a different um, page. And that's why I, I, I honestly believe that it's gonna all be fixed and didn't really think of autism as much. I didn't let myself think about it. So basically, was the state the one that gave the official diagnosis then after they also performed tests? No, what happened was the developmental specialist contacted the state. So the state contacted me and said, well, we're going to we're going to come have um, offer our, a different evaluation for Siraj and see where he's at. And then from that evaluation, we'll see what kind of services we're going to offer. And they did. And let me just tell you, the evaluations, when you sit there for like an hour or two watching other people evaluate your child and you're looking at them and they're writing notes and you don't know what they're writing. And it's like, okay, what are they saying about him? There's other people that are, I'm giving permission to judge my, my child. So it was that on its own every until today, every time we have any sort of evaluation or test or it's always that like this anger, like I'm allowing somebody to come tell me how good or bad his behavior, his IQ, his speech, his, it's just not, it's the hardest thing, but you have to go through it. And we did. And after that evaluate, the first evaluation from the state, they did say he needs, um, well, he was non, he's nonverbal, so he didn't speak. So he does obviously need speech therapy, occupational therapy, uh, behavioral therapy. And I said, let's go, let's start. Um, it was twice a week of each therapy for a good six months. We did that. There were some things that we that changed in him. There were some um, aspects of where, like, when he would sit down to eat, we taught him how to keep, like, chips or whatever he was eating, pretzels, in a plate rather than throwing them. So it was more of, like, he benefited from the behavioral aspect of the treatments. But then speech and occupational came came up to me and said six months later, and they said, you know, I think if we had an official diagnosis, we would better treat him. We'd have a better plan for him. We'd have better therapy set up for him. And that's when I just, it, it was like a slap in the face and I knew what they were talking about. And I, I knew it was time for me to, that's it. I need to go on with the flow and accept it. But my problem was how am I going to get everybody else on board with my husband, my family, and I, you know, what happened then was I just told the th speech therapist, you need to give me a couple of weeks to get this done. Like, it's not going to happen overnight. And so I it took a little bit of con convincing, but we did see a psychologist. That's where a child psychologist usually is the best place to get a diagnosis like this. So we did go with that. And basically, that's another <laughs> roller coaster that you're going to, that you have to face. It's uh, It's a three appointment kind of routine. So basically, at first, they sit with mom and dad alone. She sat with me alone for a little bit, and then she would listen to my husband alone a little bit, and she came back and said, I don't know if you guys are living with the same child. Wow. Um, you are highlighting all of the abilities 
she was telling my husband he was highlighting his late Siraj's abilities and I was looking at the things that he wasn't capable of. Um, so most of my concerns. And she said, you guys need to get on the same page. And we looked at each other like, of course, <laughs> we don't, you know, it's hard for you as a parent to tell, to complain to a specialist about what your son cannot do. So I totally understand where he was coming from. And for me, dealing with the therapist, whether it's a speech or occupational, I needed to get this diagnosis. So it was, for me, it was more of like a need kind of thing. I exaggerated some of the things that he wasn't able to do because I knew once I have this diagnosis, I'm going to be able to get so many services and treatments for him. Um, and so that we went off for the second appointment and she evaluated him for a good three hours. And I seen on the papers what she was evaluating for and it confirmed my um, suspicions. And I was like, I know she's looking for autism. Um, and I can see the way he uh, did in the evaluation. It was and I knew what the, the I then I knew 100 percent. This is what we have and this is what we're dealing with. I had to get my husband on board also for the third appointment, and it was the hardest thing ever to kind of convince him. And I showed him videos of different kids with autism, and because we kind of um, always imagine autism to be a very scary thing. I remember one saying to my sister that I can deal with a child with uh, Down syndrome. I can have a child with Down syndrome, but I can never have a child with autism. I don't think I don't think I can handle it it's because what. What I used to hear about it is just all the negatives. You used to just hear the screaming and the behavioral issues and and all of the negative aspects that they that I guess even society portrays to you. Like you kind of get sunk into that feeling of like this is an impossible child. So I always had a I was afraid of it. Finally, after being convinced that he had it, I had to convince my husband to be okay with it and accept it. And and so yeah, we watched some videos and he finally got on board. The third appointment went in there. We didn't even allow the the psychologist to approach us with the with what, what the results were, my husband cut her off and said, you know what, we know it's autism, what's next? And since then, it's been so much easier because everybody's on board. Everybody knows that, you know, we are dealing with something that is not easy for us to accept, but we have accepted and you need to all get on the same page because this is our life now. And that's when we started to customize his treatments. And when I say treatments, I mean his therapy. So like ABA therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy was customized for autism. And yeah, that's how, that's how all, that's how after the diagnosis, that's how all of it started after the diagnosis. How it all transpired basically. I think everyone just afraid of hearing that diagnosis, like you're afraid of, I mean, even going to the doctor with a cough. It brings comfort to knowing that like the doctor knows that I have bronchitis and he's going to give me the medicine I need to get better. So I feel like we need to stop being afraid of the diagnosis because the diagnosis is what we need, like you said, to get on track with the right kind of treatments and therapies and all that. So you have to take the stigma out of that. But I think when it comes to like a diagnosis with your child, Fuzi, you said something about that in regards to like when you found out your child had autism, you felt like you lost one child and now this is a whole new. Oh, yeah. So even though, you know, I can imagine how hard it was for my husband because I knew all along what, what it was like. I had that feeling, but it still like crushed me. Like I remember coming home and I just felt like I was like I fell into this ditch. And every time I'd lift my head up, the walls, like the ceilings, everything was falling on top of me like that's it. It was the end of the world. I also felt like it was the worst part was kind of letting go of all the hopes and dreams that I had built for him. And I had dreamt them for him. And I and just like any parent, you wish for your child to, to be uh, the smartest and the and the most the, the most handsome and, and all of this you kind of like that part of it where like I can't kind of dream for him now because it's you kind of have to take it one step at a time like 
you know, it's it's not as easy to let go. So it's almost like you're mourning one child. I have to mourn this child that I have kind of imagined in my head and his future that I have built for him. I need to mourn that. And then only after I started to let go of all those thoughts and, and imaginations and all of that was, um, was I able to actually focus on who I have in front of me right now. And I think for anybody with any any child, any parent with a child with any disability, they need to kind of let go of the the feeling of, I need to make them get this right. I need to make them graduate. I need to make them have this degree. They need to look like this in front of certain people. I They need to let go of that so that you can be able to focus on what they're capable of. Because he might not be able to speak, but he is one smart child. He can communicate in every other way. So it's only when I kind of let go of all those thoughts and kind of focused on, what I have in front of me right now, was I able to um, think positive and thinking positive gave us a lot, a lot, a bigger chance of progression. So I think that's, that's a big, big deal. Initially I kind of collapsed. It was the worst part time of our lives. I remember him walking into the room and I looked up at his face and I felt like I didn't spend time. I hadn't spent time with him. I missed him. I, I realized then I looked him in the, in the mirror and I realized, oh my God, I really wasted so much time. I haven't been spending time with them. I can't keep doing this. I'm going to give myself up until the two week mark. And that's exactly what happened. I think day 15, I woke up and I called all our therapists and I got them on board. I told them what our diagnosis was. I even contacted the state. I told them what was going on and we finally got the diagnosis. And then I um, had the his coordinator. So each child with a disability that receives any services from the state has a case manager or case coordinator. And they come in every three to six months to check up on the child, see where services are at, if they can offer any new services. Um, and so I actually asked for a, 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 the coordinator to come in and we sat together and put a plan. We set like a, uh, like a whole six month plan where, okay, we're gonna get this many therapies per week. And I had then started to read more about autism. And I realized that ABA therapy, which is applied behavioral therapy, um, was what we needed the most. Even though he is nonverbal, I know that people would think, well, you know, maybe you should just do stick to speech therapy. But my concerns were way beyond speech. Mine were um, behavioral. So like, how is he going to be able to learn how to behave in certain situations or even day to day kind of things? Like, how is he how am I going to teach him how to brush his teeth, wash his hands, uh, potty training, all of these things. And after reading so much and learning, um, I realized that that's the main goal for me is to get as many hours a week of ABA therapy. And the state helped me get on board with that. Um, we didn't qualify for the state insurance, so we did it through our private insurance. Um, that's another struggle that parents with disabilities have to face. We're kind of applying for state services and insurance and getting approved. And um, we've gotten denied a few times, but we won't stop fighting. I'm, I'm that mom, the annoying mother that is going to be on everybody's uh, behinds and kind of like making sure that we get everything I can get. Um, but the state and our coordinator uh, kind of, they kind of taught, and our therapist kind of taught me what my uh, rights were and what his rights were and what I could do to achieve and, and for him to get all his rights. So I kind of did my own research and did my own um, kind of like background uh, investigation. And I also had some meetings with some people, professionals from the state that I kind of contacted and asked what were the right steps to approach. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't be 
we both wouldn't be where we're at today because if you don't know your rights, they aren't going to offer them to you. So it's kind of like you need to fight for every right, whether it's service or whether it's school or whatever it is, you need to fight for everything for you to, to achieve it. Um, it's then when I learned that he at three years old is able to start priority preschool. And so we went ahead and did that. We started priority preschool. And I feel like for me, the, the thing I wanted to um, achieve from that is just for him to become more social. I didn't expect for him to like learn a bunch. It just was kind of give, giving him the chance to become more social um, away from me, just him getting used to being independent a little bit more. And so, yeah, we did that for th- when he was three and four. He just turned five. So we are going to um, start in the fall. In August, we're starting the old autism private school. That was another fight on its own. Uh, but we, each child with um, that go- that starts school and needs services from the school is going to have an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. In that IEP, you can request anything that you believe your child needs. You just have to prove he needs it. And my approach for the old autism private school was that I kind of had all of his teachers and therapists on board that he does need more attention than just a priority school. Like he cannot be in a regular special needs class. Um, and so everybody was on board. We fought a few times. We, you know, they hate me. The state hates me. The school hates me. But hey, I got him. <laughs> I got him what he needed. Um, I, and that kind of goes back to, I kind of believe the saying where squeaky wheels get get oiled. So I'm that squeaky wheel, but you know what? I don't care if I sound annoying, but I eventually get oiled. I get what I want. So I kind of, um, I kind of go by that, whether it's flying with him, you know, um, you, you're going to face people that, that look, give you the looks and that kind of make you feel like you shouldn't be flying with your son because he's, you know, he looks like he's 10 years old. Like, why is he standing on the, on the chair? Like, or why is he making those noises? I've learned to not get angry, but to turn around and, and make my point. And I'm that one person that is always talking to strangers because I'm always explaining what's going on. And I feel like that is, I benefit from this and he benefits from it. And and from the beginning, I always was open about it. And that's why you get people to understand your situation and it makes your life, everyday life so much easier. So yeah, and um, we're excited to start school in the fall. It's, it's a completely different school, but we're really, really excited about it. So Fazia, when it comes to you starting conversations, is it because you just would rather start the conversation, start on a positive note, rather than having to fight people, you'd rather just educate people? Because we know how people are on airplanes. We know how they are. People want their quietness and whatnot. How do you feel about that? Why did you decide on that approach? Um, Because I kind of myself in other people's shoes. I kind of feel like I know I would be annoyed if there's an annoying child crying. So I want to kind of give people a heads up. Like if I was able to control his crying or the sounds he's making or his behaviors, I would, but I, I'm not capable of it. So you need to kind of don't, you know, judge me as a bad mother that, that, that doesn't know how to um, discipline her child. I need them to understand that you need to help me work with this. Like this is a situation that I'm not able to control. And I feel this way, I'm giving people the heads up so they don't go automatically to the judgment place. Cause you know, we're humans. And I think of myself even before my situation with Siraj, maybe I'm that, that I was that type of person that would lose my temper or gossip about a little mother that child's like throwing a tantrum and, oh my God, she can't control him or whatnot. We're humans. We do, we, we sometimes think these things. And so to prevent that from happening, I kind of always am the one to approach. Like, 
you know, maybe um, he might have a hard time on the flight or um, we might be, we might run off like in the park. So I need people to be, have their eyes open with me. And so once you do that, you number one, you get people to be on the same page. Number two, you can actually gain some help and you need that. And I feel like um, the biggest thing in any situation where you have a child with a disability, you do need a support system. And if you are going to be too proud and have that pride kind of like get in the way of you um, asking for help, you're, you're just going to stay in your spot. You're not going to be able to, you're going to prevent yourself from being open to every activity or every opportunity that's out there because you're going to always be enclosed. And that's one thing I feel like I, w- I had from the beginning where I was open. And that's why I probably faced less maybe arguments or problems with people because I kind of always came to the front and said, well, you know what, before you judge, he does have autism and it's a little bit harder for him to control himself and for for me to control him also. So that helped drastically. So once you kind of overcame your fear of hearing the diagnosis, you gave yourself those two weeks, you said that you wanted to be open with a diagnosis. But I feel like in our culture, our family, we kind of kind of want to hide the negative aspects of things that are going on in our lives. We never want to flat out say like, hey, my son's autistic. Was it a struggle getting your family and friends on board with being as open as you wanted to be? Definitely. Um, Mind you, Siraj got his diagnosis a little bit before he turned two. So it was really, really early on, which when I think about it, I feel like, oh my God, this is a plus. This is a boost for us. Other people would look at me and say, well, no, you don't, you don't, you're not supposed to label him from now. Give him a, you know, give him a chance to get better and nobody will know because physically, I mean, if you were to to judge a book by its cover, Siraj is one hell of a cover. Like you would not know just by looking at him, especially back then. So I constantly got that. We're like, don't say anything yet. Try to fix it on your own. And, you know, he might grow out of it. He might grow out of it. And I'm like, I wish it was that easy, but it's not like, I'm not going to wait until all of a sudden people are going to see him when he's five, six and like, oh, where did he come from? Why? I'm not going to hide him. I'm not going to, um, I need everybody to know what's going on because, you know, what? even if he was to get better, thank God. But, but if not, everybody knows from the beginning how to deal with him, how to treat him for them to even know why I'm saying no to certain um, invitations, certain birthday parties, there's certain circumstances where I know it's going to be overwhelming for him to go. I can't take him there. So people will understand that she, you know, I can't be there for a certain reason. But I did get that where in the beginning, everybody was like, well, don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. Back then it bothered me. But now I know that, you know, I shouldn't have let it bother me just because I can't expect people to understand the way I do, because I didn't understand before until I started to educate myself and started to read more and to learn more. And he's my responsibility. So I don't expect everybody to understand it the way I understand it. But people are a little bit better now. People know that I'm the one with the big mouth that says everything and I won't hide anything. So they kind of accepted me now more than they accepted him. And I feel like they now realize why I've been this way. So it doesn't stop us from going to, you know, doing any activity, whether it's going to basketball with his brother, because people know his situation. Nobody's going to judge us. So people understand that, oh, that's why she's been open about it, because to make her life so much easier. Maybe out of being uh, selfish, I want people to know so they don't judge me. I don't know, but it just helped me drastically being open about it, for sure. Because even though you are the mother and he is your responsibility, I feel like 
when he's surrounded by other people, you want them to also assist him with his progression because if people are trying to suppress this diagnosis, it's only going to make him regress. If they're trying to shun him, hide him away in public, like whoever, you know, from the family is like not okay with the diagnosis at that moment. Yeah, they're going to make him regress. Is that I how you felt? Definitely. You off. But like once he gets older, you don't want him to grow up with that notion of like, oh, I'm different. Something's wrong with me. You know what I mean? Because people will know how to treat him in the way that he needs to definitely be yeah and i i've seen that i've seen i have friends i have even friends that aren't even family that um once they're around siraj now they are they know exactly how to communicate with him even though he's nonverbal. i can leave him with with a few people that i'm really close to because i've been open from the beginning and they've seen how i dealt with him and i've taught people well, when he asks, when he approaches you and asks you for this, you need to respond in this manner. I have some people that even caught on a few signs from sign language. And, and so um, it, it's, you know, I, it, you're educating other people and you're, you're benefiting yourself. So it's kind of like a win-win situation. You, you can't go wrong with being open. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of his situation. On the contrary, I'm going to be, I'm going to always push him to be open and and push everybody around me to be open about any situation they have because number one you're just gonna this is the best way to make society understand that there are some things that we look at as that we're ashamed of or look at as a no-no or you know kind of want to keep it as a secret you're just going to push yourself your child and everybody around you i mean if i can benefit one person today from listening to us i'm that'll that'll be i'd be so content with that because just one person change their mind about how they feel about their their child with special needs that's that's enough that's that's a big plus for me you're absolutely right, Fazia, because I feel like I've learned so much. Because, yeah, in public, at the mall or whatnot, you see kids having an outburst. and But it's like you don't know what that child is going through or how hard that mom is trying to, like, quiet him down and, like, relieve him from this little tantrum. Like, I want to go back a little bit because, like, they gave you that diagnosis. You didn't kind of want the diagnosis. You were, like, almost in denial. How did you transition from, like, having this diagnosis to, like, accepting and now labeling him? Because I think it's a huge step to be able to label your child as autistic. Yeah, the label kind of kills you, but um, definitely Quran, not my deen. It was, um, I've always, you know, alhamdulillah, we were all Muslims, and we, like, we, we know that Dean is the answer to everything, but once you go through, through something like this and you kind of have no other option, um, where I'm used to always having my parents fix any, you know, growing up, you, your parents fix every problem you have. Like if you aren't doing in, well in school, then they'll get you a tutor. If you are fighting with somebody, they'll fix the situation for you. This is one thing that nobody could fix for me. I had to take control of, and I knew the only the only thing I could fall back on is Quran, Islam, Deen. I and I definitely I remember that when uh, after the diagnosis, I opened the Quran physically, like I grabbed the Quran and I opened it, and I remember reading it and I said, Oh my God, it's been such a long time that I've actually held the Quran and opened it. Um, I you know, usually will will have YouTube on and listen to the Quran that way, and even just maybe repeat after that. But I it, it made me realize how long it was before that I've I have held the actual Quran and read but anytime and trust me today even we have some bad days we have some days where you feel like still like why me you know you go through that all of us any person going through any obstacle is going to say why me and when I get to that point I definitely go back to the Quran and just then start to count my blessings because alhamdulillah you see um, the first thing I, I feel like the biggest blessing for me is accepting alhamdulillah that we're at the point where we accept it because it's made his life so much easier as well as ours. 
And then you start saying, comparing yourself to other situations where you're like, if I was that person, I wouldn't be able to face this. So yeah, definitely the Quran and just being and understanding that Allah chooses to give these, these, these obstacles or struggles to people that he loves. Kind of like, I always remind myself that of that. And that's been such an ease. It just makes things so much easier. Just a constant reminder to remind yourself of that. So yeah, that's what's most thing that has helped us. It makes you like a stronger person because like you're doing this treatment. It's like reading the Quran and everything like that. It's like your son's going through his own treatment, but this is like also your treatment to better cope with this. Exactly what it was. It was his way, his, my way of coping with everything was dua and Quran and just, yeah. And like being on the same page with my husband about it is definitely made us stronger and made our Iman even stronger. So Alhamdulillah. And that was our kind of therapy and his therapy was a different kind of route. So yeah, we, I feel like everybody needs some kind of therapy. So that was, that was what helped us. But subhanAllah, it's also like how Allah knows what hardships to give what people, because you had your whole family. I don't want to use the word against you, but they were in denial about him. But it's like Allah gave you, specifically you, this child, because he knew that you had those instincts. Would do what you need to do to get him the help. Yeah. Yeah. You just said something that, uh, that I was thinking of right now. You said, Alhamdulillah, that we accepted, you know, you accepted the diagnosis. But I'm thinking of the parents who are refusing to accept the diagnosis and are refusing to label their child autistic. And the help that this child is not getting because the parents are kind of being selfish by not wanting to have an autistic, not wanting people to know that their son is autistic and he has a disability. Well, me and Siraj actually did this like six, seven week program. And um, they take six families and six children with autism and they give the children with autism like therapies, two and a half hours a day of therapy. And they take the parents in, in a different classroom and talk to us about it. And I remember there was this one family that kind of came to, they, they paid for this program and they uh, they came to every uh, class and they were there. But once every time they would ask a question, I would, I just, I didn't understand what they meant. It was, they were kind of like asking like, do you think my child's going to speak? Do you think my, you know, what do you think I can when he's three years old, four years old, is he going to, is he going to lose that label of autism? So these are people that kind of like want to show or are trying to accept it, but they really haven't yet. And unfortunately, their child is the child that wasn't that is isn't in any treatments, whether it's ABA, speech, occupational. Um, it's more of like, let me do the six week program, he'll get better, and then we're we're done. These are the people that are going to hurt their child the most. I feel like every child with autism has some kind of ability, whether you know whether it's a certain um, interest in music or whether it's puzzles or math or whatever it is. As long as they stay in denial, they will never know what that ability is. As long as they constantly are in denial, they will always highlight their disabilities and not uh, and never ever learn about the actual child's ability. So until the parent accepts, there's no way that child's going to progress in any way. Or if they if they do, they will progress for a while and then start to regress until their parents are on the same page. Because I know after like maybe six seven months of the diagnosis. I kind I started to kind of think in my husband's um, way of thinking, where he's more positive about everything. He's optimistic. He always told he till today says, I know that he's gonna you know he's gonna start to speak. I know he's gonna get better. I know. And I started to kind of do the same thing. And I realized that once I started doing that, I started focusing on what Siraj is able to do, what he is capable of, what are the um, what are his strengths. Once I started doing that, we started using these things into his therapies. 
And once he started uh, doing these therapies and using these techniques, or when we started implementing his abilities into, te- um, into therapies, he started to progress. So my positive outlook on life and, and kind of uh, opened my eyes to his abilities and his abilities helped him in treatment and his treatments got him to progress. So it's a, just a chain reaction. And so you have to be open, you have to accept, you have to be positive. Always highlight the abilities and kind of work on the disabilities in a very minimal kind of way, but focus and highlight the abilities because each child with autism has some sort of ability that they're really, really, really good at. And once you find out what it is, there's no stopping from there. It's it's, it's crazy how much of a difference I see in Siraj since we started to use um, incorporate music into into his therapy. Or for example, like he likes the weirdest things. He likes Taylor Swift. So we started to incorporate Taylor Swift into therapies. <laughs> it, it wasn't until I finally accepted and became positive. It's it's not enough to be you know to accept and then just you know, not do anything about it. I started to think more positive. I got this from my husband, I have to say. He is very positive and I just I just took that on. I felt like he was so much happier than I was. I want to be that happy. I want to be that optimistic. And and yeah, it's, it's that's the only time I started to focus on what Siraj was able of doing. And alhamdulillah, from there, it's been a, it's been upwards since then. Because like people that have children with autism, I mean, there's ones that are like you who you want to give him all this therapy so he can better navigate life. But then you said there's other people that just want to give him all this therapy to rush it and they think that it's going to cure him. So this is like a question like maybe uh, that other people want to know, but it's like autism really can't be cured. It's just it's either he progresses or he regresses, right? Yeah, you can, you are teaching them how to live through their struggles. So for example, I can teach him how to, communicate with people through therapy. So we, it might not come, it might not be something as an instinct that he's born with. You need to teach him even instincts. So it's kind of hard because you need to teach him how the smallest little things that you don't think you actually need to teach a person, but they are able to learn. And um, even though they won't lose that title of um, autism, but you, you know for a fact that he can live a normal life or as close to a normal life, depending on what you consider normal is, and and comfortably he can do that comfortably. So yeah, with therapies, I don't I don't have therapy every day because I expect that after a certain number of months he's going to be better. No, I have therapy every day because it's part of our routine. It's our daily routine where they come in, they they teach him what they could, I teach him what he what I, what I could, and then we go from there. But I don't expect therapy to completely erase the diagnosis of autism. And if you, if anybody does have that kind of mentality, then they're not going to go anywhere. It's, it's just going to keep you in the same spot you're at. You just have to accept and push forward. You cannot just stay where you're at. So yeah, that's definitely a big one. How's his musical uh, career going? I mean, does he love just playing like certain instruments? <laughs> it's crazy. He loves instruments. He loves the guitar, the piano, um, of course, the drums, just because they they're so loud. Um, but he, there are some songs that he gets like he loves Taylor Swift. He likes Ed Sheeran. He likes the weirdest music. What you know, he we use it in therapy. So we have him do like three different tasks and we show him the phone and we say once you're done with these tasks you get the phone and so then but what he does is he plays those those songs so it's kind of like a reward for him but finding out about his interest in music kind of helped us drastically so yeah he loves music and I'm so excited that it's music it's not like something that's boring so I can kind of enjoy it with him too (laughs) exactly it's like a way to bond with one another yeah definitely (laughs) so you do have an older son 
Um, how does Laith get along with Siraj? Was it kind of a struggle getting your older son to maybe get on board with these different therapies or get on board with the fact that, you know, his younger brother is might not be interested in the things he's interested. He doesn't want to go outside and play basketball with him. Or was that a struggle as well? I have to say we're really lucky with our oldest. He's like the easiest child <laughs> um, and he's very accepting. So um, I, I know of other parents with, with uh, children on the spectrum who have siblings and have struggled with that. Us personally, alhamdulillah, we haven't had that problem. Laith has been very easy to adjust and he is hungry to learn. He's very thirsty for the information and he uses it and incorporates it um, in our everyday life. We, that's, I think, one thing that we can check off because we, um, one less thing to worry about. He actually, if you watch him today, you feel like he does everything that the therapists do with him. So um, he's been able to adjust to that very naturally, alhamdulillah. Does he know that he's different? Is he too young to understand that at this moment or? I No, I don't think he knows he's different. Um, I don't know if he'll ever know because this kid can care less. Like he is like the happiest, jolliest. He'll throw himself at you. Uh, no, he doesn't know he is different. Um, I do know of kids that do know. They know that they need an ex- extra help. They know they need to do like things maybe with one or two extra steps. But I don't think it affects them in a negative way. I think it's just more of like knowledge for them. Like this is why you have to do it this way because you're having a hard time, you know. But um I, I don't think Siraj till today doesn't know he's a little bit different. To go back to the schooling, I, I don't want to like go like just completely skip over this because mashallah, you're amazing. You've always been persistent and you've let the school, the state and everybody know that you know your rights. You've also helped other families as well with this. And I think that's very important to highlight. Alhamdulillah, yeah. I've had people approach me with um, questions or like, how did you get this uh, approved for your son? Or how did you get him to qualify for this? And I'm always open to help just because I know when I first got the diagnosis, I was thirsty for information and I didn't, I still wasn't then open to like going out and uh, reaching out for people to give me answers. Um, so anytime I see somebody struggling, I, I offer, offer the help um, immediately. The school even um, contacts me sometimes and asks me to help certain families in certain ways. I have the state approach me for kind of they want me to start saying some speeches at some kind of local events and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I kind of, um, I went to school for genetics and I got my bachelor's in genetics. I'm kind of trying to start to um, start my master's in something with, to do with autism. So I might change gears now um, just because I feel like I, I have the information and I have like that will to learn a little bit more even and help other people in that sense. So yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I'm happy about being able to help people in that sense. No, and I'm I'm so proud of you. I know my whole family is so proud of you by just not like sitting back and letting this happen. You're taking initiative and you're helping your son, and and that's incredible. And I think our listeners who have or might know someone with a disability will learn a lot from this episode. Um, just to end things, what piece of advice would you like to leave our listeners with um, to help them navigate stigmas around disabilities or how to overcome obstacles as a mother? Um, yeah, uh, definitely you have to accept it. And then you have to, uh, you need to understand that you're not going to be able to do this on your own. You do need a support system. So don't close it all in and think that you're going to be able to control it. So after you accept, ask for help, learn your rights and be an advocate. Cause other, other, if you don't know your rights and learn everything about autism or your child's, dis- not necessarily autism, your child's disability or, um, of any kind, you need to know your rights so that you can be the right advocate because they do need you as an advocate. 
Thank you so much, Fazia, for sharing your story, just like Zaina said. Because thank you, thank you guys for coming. Honestly, in this short period of time, we've learned we've learned so much, and it's just like I don't know, like the strength that you exude is like Subhanallah. It's like honestly, Allah just gives the hardships to the right people, and it's amazing how much you've done for your son and for and your family. And how much you've grown and learned just from this experience. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for having me. Of course. Bye. Thank you. Welcome back to our unfiltered afterthoughts. I feel like I learned so much in this episode, but one thing that stuck out was the fact that she said she always had to explain to people around her in public why her son might be acting out and stuff. And I remember being on planes and hearing a baby scream or, you know, being at a restaurant and hear a kid be fussy and thinking like, why isn't the parent doing anything? And, and then I realized now it's like, obviously, if that parent can control their kid and control what's going on, then they would. You know what? And what's interesting, because she also said that her son's five years old, but he looks 10 because, yeah. mashallah, he grew up really fast. He's physically fit. So I think it's even harder for her because people are like, girl, he's yeah. 10 years old. Why is he acting this way? But it's great that she starts the conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I think we all just need to be a little bit more um, open, open and accepting. Like, you know, obviously every parent wants their kid to behave well in public and they don't want them to cause a disturbance and i think we just need to understand that like yes it might be interrupting our sleep on this you know eight hour flight but we also have to feel what they're feeling you have to give people the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. i think we really jump to conclusions right away and we assume the worst of people rather than like just really assessing the situation and seeing if somebody needs help you know this is a lot of work for her she may have it all down packed and whatnot but she does say they have their moments still to this yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, and she didn't at the beginning. It's a brand new, a brand new situation to find themselves in. And, and something else that I thought of was, you know, how many times have you thought of something and then expressed it to your mom or your family or whoever, your best friends, and they look at you like, no, 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 you're overthinking it, you're being crazy. And then you find out that in the end, you were right the whole time. And that's a, that's like, oh, I told you so, but oh, now I have to deal with this. You know what I mean? It's just so, it's like a win-lose type situation. I'm telling you, if you have a gut instinct, only you're meant to trust it. I've said this before, and I think it's really important. It's this feeling. I feel like God gives it to you, mm -hmm. like this feeling to really like look into something a little bit deeper if you're feeling a little iffy about it. And it's not going to hurt to get checked out and to, you know what I mean? It's not going to any put anyone in danger. Exactly. Just if you have a gut instinct, look into, look into it more because there's a reason you're feeling that way. Yeah. And even if it's not true, at least now you have that comfort and and knowing that, okay, I don't have to worry about this, this, and that. And if this is not for our entire community, because, like, hey, we have somebody like Fazia who is okay with the diagnosis, and she's doing everything that she can. But for those who want to hide the diagnosis of their children, you're honestly just doing them a huge disservice. And sometimes it's just better to be open because you should be doing things for your son or for your daughter rather than caring about what others may think. Yeah, and you always want your kids to come out on top. And Absolutely. I think if you hide their disabilities or you hide, even if it's not your kid, if you hide your own disabilities or you hide something that's going on in your life, you're never gonna be, you're never gonna get better because you're not gonna get the services and treatment that they need. So be vocal, be open and, and do what you have to do to better your family and your kids and again like i can't stress the importance of like learning because like 
autism. Maybe you don't have somebody that's autistic in your life or anything like that, but you have to still educate yourself because you are somebody that goes out into the public every single day. So I think we should definitely educate ourselves about children with autism or any other um, diagnosis or whatnot because, again, we are interacting with many different people on a daily basis at work, school, personal life, um, a quick run to the mall. And I applaud parents like Fazia who are taking action and being vocal. She's amazing. I mean, she she just and she's became a resource for yeah. the local schools, which is awesome. She's amazing. helping other parents and yeah. that's it, it's going to help others tremendously because like when you're a parent and you realize your child has this diagnosis, it, it's such a relief to have somebody else that went through it that knows what to do and is going to lend their helping oh, hand. And I think in any situation you always want to lean on someone who's been through it and who's maybe not overcome it, but it's close to being at a higher, you know, higher place and and knowing and having that past knowledge of what they've been through. We really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and you learned a lot from it. As always, please make sure you guys are subscribed. And if you can leave us a five-star review, that would be amazing. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. 